God is saying here, look, you want to know the future? You want to know what's going on? Me. I'm the one. Adventure Through the Bible Podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today is Eric. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Tracy is off braving the, I don't know, the wilds of New York City. Yeah, no doubt. Brave man. That is a place I once thought I wanted to go to. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I suppose there's still, I suppose there's still a lot of things there neat worth seeing but boy I, there's a lot there that honestly just scares me in my old age <laughs> yeah i don't know somewhat intriguing still somewhat terrifying i have been i've been to chicago once went with my brother but we only did uh, we only pretty much visited the navy pier and the hard rock cafe and otherwise we just couldn't hardly get out of there fast enough and it was interesting to see a couple of buildings that we recognize and that kind of thing but yeah new york new york i've always wanted to see like the Statue of Liberty and maybe taking a show on Broadway. Mm -hmm. I got to go up the Statue of Liberty when I was a kid. Oh, fun. Neat. Went up yes. the Twin Towers, too. Ooh. Tracy had family. He's got, tra he's got family out there, doesn't he? You know, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. He didn't just go there for the food, yeah, did he? His son is stationed out on the East Coast up there. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. He, he told us in a text that he had some DR food, and we're all kind of going, what is DR food? And we're trying to decide if it means, you know, delicious. Dominican, well, maybe. I don't know. Could have been DQ food and it was a typo. I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't tell us about that, though. You can get that here. That's nothing special. Yeah, you yeah. can. You got to line up for about an hour because the because the line is always crazy here. But uh, you could get it. So anyway, that's where Tracy is off to. He's off uh, braving the big city. Well, let's get into our discussion today. We are continuing in the book of Isaiah, starting in chapter five. Now, Isaiah, the context comes... Uh, as you may recall, uh, it's really towards the end of the nation of Israel. It's but it's specifically kind of talked about during being during the reigns of four kings of Judah, being if I can remember right, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. It's, it's chapter one, verse one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If I well, yeah, I know. If I would have just turned turned to it, I could have seen it. I was trying to look at the chart that that I have printed here that that Karen sent to us because I like it so much. It's 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 easy, but it, the the typing is really small, and I didn't have any. I didn't have my reading glasses on. But yeah, so it's it's kind of being delivered to Judah specifically, but it is it, and it's um, hmm. it's telling the things telling that things aren't great and they're 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 not looking for sunshiny uh daisy bordered pathways ahead oh they're they're a deep doo-doo mm -hmm. mm -hmm. so i i did some a little bit of uh outside reading outside of just just out of just the bible uh, i was given as a gift um a a uh, book set called Bible Background. It's published by InterVarsity Press. I don't hold it to be the Bible um, at all, but it gave me a little bit of insight. And in the background on Isaiah and prophecy, 
it brought up four different categories. We talked about time categories and application in prophecy in an earlier podcast. But this brought up four different types of um, prophecy, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, it said there's indictment oracles. That is what you did wrong. It's like you did this, this and this wrong. It's like, oh, OK, we've seen some of that and we'll see more of that. There is judgment oracles. It's like this is what's going to happen to you. There's instruction oracles. You should be doing this right now. And then there is aftermath oracles. After all this goes down, this is what things are going to look like. And so we've got the time periods to look at in prophecy. When exactly are these things happening and when and who do they apply to? And maybe they apply to one group and people in one specific time. But they also have dual application later. We see Jesus quoting a lot of stuff that happens in Isaiah as applicable in his time, even though we know from Bible history it was also applicable, you know, in the year 750 BC. So we've got these four other types of prophecy scattered through here the indictment oracles, judgment oracles, instruction oracles, and aftermath oracles. So if you if you look at prophecy and it at first looks super simple, it's probably because you might not be looking deep enough because there's actually a I don't want to make it more complicated than it needs to be. But it isn't it isn't a narrative, you know, it's not it's not just a story of, um, you know, well, here's Jacob and Jacob had these sons and they th that's a story, right? It has application. We can take principles from it. But that's a very different animal than we have going on in Isaiah. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Isaiah is not it's not really light reading. It definitely takes a little digging in and some real contemplation. I mean, you don't have a David and Goliath story in here. You don't have a Noah's Ark. You don't have. Yeah, you don't you don't have those things. But we do. I mean, there was there were some uh, quotes even this this week's reading that are very uh, well known. Yeah, um, and, and so there's a, there are definitely things to be gleaned from it for, for the person who wants to slow down a bit and uh, really take it in. So Eric, I don't, I mean, I didn't have a set of books like that, and that sounds really good, by the way. That yeah, sounds like a good set of books, and I might need to check that out. But um, as I was reading through it, I was noticing layers. Like, well, this sounds like this and that sounds like that. And and like I wasn't putting them in the nice, clear words of what you read there. But th that's kind of how it was hitting me. It was like this sounds like, you know, like a reassurance of what's to come or a warning of what's to come. But either way, it's an aftermath. Right. Or this sounds and it also I thought of Jonah as as I was reading through it. I thought of Jonah because he went with a warning, like stop what you're doing. Do this instead or else. Right. And that's got several components to it. And um, anyway, I just I, I noticed those layers also. I just didn't have nice tidy titles to put on them. Yeah, and, and on top of all that, it's mostly poetry. And so <laughs> poetry doesn't read like regular narrative either, and nor should it. We need to kind of look for those poetic um, styles and understand them to be styles. And I guess all of that is to say, again, what Matt said, we got to slow down. And look at this stuff. And I think it would, for me anyways, I take it as a 
I take as a cautionary thing, like, okay, I, I shouldn't take one verse or one line out of this and then say, and from this, we can tell that blah, 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 and make up an entire theology based on it. Um, which isn't to say that the lines don't have validity. They do. We just have to be very careful and make sure that what they say harmonizes with other scripture. Right. I mean, we, we start we start verse five. We're going to do Isaiah five through eight today. And it starts off, let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. Well, that sounds sweet. Sounds like we're back in the Song of Solomon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it sounds it. it and, and so I think it's important that we remember. OK, so what would the people who were hearing this have heard? They might have thought, oh, this is going to be sweet. And and in a way, it starts off that way. It is a love poem. It's it's a it's a vine keeper who is taking care of his vineyard very, very carefully. It's like doing all the things he could possibly do to make this a successful vineyard. He dug it and cleared it of stones. This is verse two. Planted it with choice vines, built a watchtower, hewed a wine vat. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Now, I'm not a vintner. I have some out-of-control grapes in my backyard that I planted a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a science and an art to it, neither of which I <laughs> know. But the story goes wrong. You know, the point is, is that the the vineyard dresser was looking for one thing, and yet something different happened. And in case we're wondering, like, is this really about a vineyard? Is this really about it? Yeah, verse three answers this. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me? What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Okay, so this is this is echoed basically straight up by Jesus as what he's headed into as he heads into Jerusalem for the final Passover. When he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, I've sent you the prophets. I've, we've done everything I could for you. I would gather you as a hen gathers its chicks, but you wouldn't, you would not be saved. That is, that is, I mean, it has application in the year. What are we, we figured it was probably seven, 800 to 730 BC or something like that. So it has application here, and it has application in the New Testament as Jesus is saying, look, I've done everything I could do, and it's the clock's running out. It happened in Noah's day, preached for 120 years. He said, okay, there's a time when it's like, time's up. Jerusalem, 70 AD-ish, time's up. This, in Revelation, I mean, we shouldn't miss it is there's a time when God says, look, I've done everything I could do, and now it's over. I like the grape analogy, the, the vineyard analogy, that really kind of spoke to me. Uh, for the same reason as Eric, except the opposite. I had grapes in my backyard for a, a number of years. And um, when we first moved to this area and discovered that we had four strains of grapes growing in our backyard, our first thought was, well, how the heck do we take care of them? What are we supposed to do? Because, of course, the point is to get grapes out of the deal. And I'm I'm all about having fresh grapes to pick and steam and juice and everything else. Like, I'm that's great. I'm down. But how do we get to that point? And, man, those things grow prolifically. 
So we tried everything from intuition to going to the library and uh, checking out books on how to care for grapevines to maximize product. And it turned out to be, yes, you had to know a few basics about how the vines were structured and where to cut, what to look for. Don't cut back, back past this point. Look for these markers. Like you had to know how the vines were put together. But within that fairly basic knowledge, you could just, I, I took to calling it, I, I would say about once a month during the summer, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go give the grapes a haircut. And I would, I would go out there with a pair of like trimming shears and I would just go for it. And the result of that was that like our first year here, I think we got maybe three dozen. So to give you an idea, our little vineyard was 14 feet long and 10 feet wide. And our first year that we harvested grapes, I think we got maybe 30 or 32 quarts of juice out of that. And within a couple of years, we had gotten the hang of it and we were getting over 50 quarts from that same little patch of grapes. Now, what does that say for how a vineyard is supposed to act? And the basic care, you know. So with that background in mind, when I read these verses, they kind of really stood out to me and they were really colorful. Like I went and I did all of the things. I know what those things are, right? I know what that feels like to go out and look for certain things and cut here and don't cut there. And then and then instead I got like he actually he actually at one point rattles off. Um, I think it's a little further down. He talks about like my 10 acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine which is six gallons. I had to look that up. Yeah, I've never tried to grow grapes. I have tried to grow grass in my front yard and I've been living in this house for close to 20 years and I am terrible at making grass grow. I do everything I can. I I reseed it, I I I fertilize it, I water it. And about the only things I can get to grow in my grass is crabgrass. And uh, so I kind of I, I get the, the concept here of what he's saying about what else could I have done? He's got good land. He's got a, he should have what has what should be bringing up a good crop. And it's just producing uh, the stuff that would show up kind of naturally anyway. I think it's important to. To, to say, well, why are we reading this? I mean, it's Isaiah, it's blah, 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 a little bit of history. It's interesting. It's as, it's as boring as history class. It's just because it matters today. Okay, So it mattered to the people that Isaiah was prophesying to in that moment. And just in case we think that that was all that mattered, you can readers can look at Matthew 21, verses 33 to 44. I won't read the whole thing, but this is Jesus saying, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and put a tower in it. Now, seriously, this is basically just quoting Isaiah 5. This is a story they would have known. If you were a student of the Bible, and remember, they, their Bible at that time was a lot smaller than ours. There was a lot less to cover, right? So they would have known this parable. And Jesus, he starts this and they know, oh, that was the prophecy against Judah right before they got slam dunked by, you know, by Babylon. Bad things were about to happen, right? Think about mm -hmm. that. And so, and he tells a story. And then, you know, when the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants, and then the tenants took the servants and beat one up, killed another, 
He said, I'll send my son. And they killed the son. And so this is a clear prophecy of Jesus coming to the nation of Israel. And Jesus like flat out says, Jesus said to them, this is in Matthew 21, 42. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builder rejected has become the capstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Straight up. And then he says right here, and the one, and this is verse 44, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, will crush him. Okay, so Jesus is saying, look, if you don't, if you don't do the stuff, this will be taken away from you. I've said, I don't even remember the, uh, the old uh, movie Forrest Gump. There's a line in there, as stupid is as stupid does, which doesn't really mean anything. But, but I've said remnant is as remnant does. And that's how God rolls. People do not understand. They think, well, the Israelites are like, well, we're Israelites. We're that we have Abraham as our father. And Jesus, when, when he was going in the triumphal entry and the, the scribes and Pharisees, remember the leaders of the nation were saying, don't be doing this. Jesus says, hey, you don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. Okay, they thought that, well, we're Israelites and that gives us a special pass. And there are some today who believe, well, I'm a member of X, Y, Z denomination and we do this, this and this and we're good to go. I think we need to look at Isaiah. I think we need to look at Matthew. I think we need to look at Revelation. And Jesus has said, look, if you don't do the things producing fruit, he says it. He says it in Isaiah. He says it here in Matthew. He says it. Yeah. Karen's a fan of James. James is all about it. If you don't do the things, it's going to get taken away from you. We're going to move on here is what God is saying. And that's to us right now in this year, in this time, wherever you're hearing this. Yeah, and, and I loved how Isaiah 5 summarized it. So he he starts off, you know, with his poetry of like, I have this vineyard and I and I did these things to make it wonderful and it didn't produce anything and so now I'm going to take away its hedge and break down its wall and make it a wasteland, all right? <clears throat> so at the end of that, in verse 7, it's, it specifies. Well, and this is the first layer, right? This is the immediate layer. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah, are okay. the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress, all right? And then from there, he kind of like goes off into the next thing about like, you know, don't try, don't try to put this back together. It's going to be desolate. Yeah. And he says, literally, I mean, we, he breaks out of the poetry once in a while. Mm -hmm. um, and in verse 13, therefore, my people will go into exile for lack of knowledge. I mean, it's pretty straight up telling you what he means. Like, in case you didn't understand poetry, here's what's going to happen. If you didn't Thank get the Thank you. I appreciate here, that. <laughs> <laughs> like, here, let me just tell you exactly what's going to happen and he, he draws a picture again ah, i just yeah every once in a while i see on social media these things like somebody saying oh the youth of today are terrible and they won't listen to their parents you know written by so and so in the year 60 bc like oh okay things haven't changed that much here's one we're talking about society at, the, at that time and sadly this is the society that god has said look i want you to be a model verse 20 
Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Oof. Mm-hmm. Man, I see it. I see it. It's society and parts of it uh, want to put forward what God has explicitly said. This is no good. And people stand up and say, no, no, no. You need to praise me for this. Right. It's a thing. So anyways, that's what I got out of Isaiah 5. Yeah, basically it just needs to have a do-over. Kind of like I say with my yard. I know that's what I'm going to have to do someday is probably just just rip it out and start over because what's there is not, it's just not good anymore. And sometimes it's what has to happen. Yeah, so we hit on that part of woe to those who call evil and uh, God, evil good and good evil. And I think we're seeing a lot of that today. It's it's hard to look out and see, not see that. It's absolutely baffling to me when you see people praising the, the uh, things that even just a few years ago would have been looked down on. But now sections of our society just think that they're wonderful. Um yeah, verses 24, 25, they're going to be stricken down by God. It talks about how flame devours stubble and consumes chaff. Um, it's uh, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to essentially get wiped out. But it does say for all of his anger, all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Yes. That is, uh, I thought that I just, that just really struck me kind of at my heart, you know, thinking of, you know, putting it in the parental perspective, a parent being angry at something that, that their child has done, but yet still having their hand out there to help them. Oh, I just was fascinated, fascinated by this whole list of woe to so-and-so, woe to so-and-so, because, I mean, it's so widely applicable. It was um, like the very first, or this, I think it's the second one in verse 18. This one I actually went and looked, I've got a parallel Bible. And so I actually went and looked at a couple of my paraphrases. Um, so NIV says it, woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes, right? So you could kind of, like I kind of chewed on that for a minute. And then I, I looked at a couple of my other versions here. And what I, the one that I liked the most was the New Living Translation. It said, um, what sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. Okay, I thought that was pretty good. But then also, woe to those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so that we may see it. Huh, all right. The plan of the Holy One of Israel, let it approach, let it come into view so that we may know it, right? So woe to people who are trying to command God to perform by their expectations and their timeline and what they want. Ouch. Then we get to the ones we already read, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, right? But then, then it gets a lot more personal and a lot more subtle. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. Woe to those who will acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. And it just kind of goes on like this. Man, if you guys haven't read chapter five, you should get into this. This is really good. Really good. It's one of those sobering lists, like in the New Testament, where it says, um, and in, I think in 
I think Paul talks about it in a couple places, and then in Revelation, it definitely talks about it. And it says, basically, it lists off the behaviors that will not make it into heaven. And some of them are big, like some of them you would expect. And then some of them are really a lot more uh, subtle and close to home and have to do with the finer points of character. Huh? So dare we say acceptable today because we don't really call them out? Well, yeah, I mean, there was, there's simple stuff listed like people who don't respect their parents. Yes. And there's. slanderers and yes. gossipers. And it's like, you know, whoa, like it really gets into the finer points of humanity. Yes. And it's like, mm, okie dokie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isaiah, should we move to six? There's some. Yeah, let's move on to six. Stuff in here. Yeah, Isaiah 6, it begins with the title in line, he's Isaiah called to be a prophet. And I'm thinking, well, he, we're already seeing prophecies from him, so I guess he's kind of backing up and telling us his, uh, his origin story, so to speak, here. But he tells us that he had a vision in the year that King Uzziah died. So that gives us some, con- some uh, uh, context of when this is happening. And he says that he saw God sitting on a throne in the temple. And I wondered immediately, is he seeing who we would think of as Jesus? It seems like most of the time when we get a physical, uh, a visual concept of God, that a lot of times I think what, I think what we're seeing is actually Jesus. I yes. don't know that we really usually see, quote unquote, the Father. And we definitely don't, quote unquote, see the Holy Spirit. So I, 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 it's been my understanding that a lot of times when we're actually seeing God in Scripture, that what we're seeing is probably who we would think of as Jesus. Yeah, John 1 says that. I mean, I just think that that's a thing that we need to remember. John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God. Yeah. I mean, it's just right there. It just And it's said in other places. So these visions are... God's manifestation through Jesus. I think you're right on there. Mm-hmm. We get a vision here of a seraphim with six wings. We've talked a lot on here on what uh, what an angel really is. This is one of the few times that we get something described as actually having wings. We don't really know what the thing looks like, though. We just know that it has six wings. And if I remember right, it tells us that, what, two covered its... How did it go? Covered its face, covered its feet, and then he flew with the other two. Um, yeah, I. Uh, that's it. That's an, what's that? Go, Karen. What, what's wrong with feet? Why do you got to cover your feet? <laughs> These had ugly toenails. I don't know. <laughs> I think this is a respect thing. I mean, think about this. It's a metaphor. He's flying with his face covered. Just think about that. Mm-hmm. Driving with your eyes closed. <laughs> this, this is this is a metaphor, okay? Yeah, we're we're seeing things that we don't really understand. I should say Isaiah is. What seraphim is different than the cherubim because the cherubim, remember, it, that were done artistically in the temple had two wings. Mm-hmm. One wing touched the center above the mercy seat. There were two standing over, one on each side of the the uh, the ark. One, touch, one wing touched the outside edge of the tabernacle, and the other wing touched the wing of the other inside. So 
we've got these beings that we don't really super understand. If you want to get really trippy visions of what's going on, look at what Ezekiel has to say about stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That'll take you to another dimension. So we see Isaiah 6. And one of the things that I read is, is that I thought about was in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It made me wonder, how many days do we wake up and walk through the day without realizing the whole earth is full of his glory? Mm. Yeah. Sometimes we forget to look. You can see it. You can see it if you're looking for it. But uh, I'm with you. How often do we miss it? We look straight at it and don't even recognize it for what it is. It's just part of our daily whatever, and we forget that it's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's my point. And that when Isaiah saw this, it was kind of like this invisible thing was taken away from him, and he sees it. He's not feeling very cocky. He says, mm-hmm. you know, the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of one who called. And I don't know if that was the foundations of the threshold of Isaiah's world or the heavenly world. Basically, literally rocked his world. And the house is filled with smoke. I mean, this is like, he's, this is a big deal. He's blown away. He says, woe, am I, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he didn't, have, he didn't have even say anything at this point, and he knows He's not making the grade, right? Yeah. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And as I understand it, when we see Lord in all caps like that, that's Yahweh, which is the personal name of God. There's, you know, it's like Mr. Haberman, where there's Matt. It's like Mm -hmm. when I say Matt, it kind of implies that I, I know him a little bit. And this is a personal name. And this is the cool vision of of you know it's a metaphor is it literal i i don't know uh, i can't propose that but a seraphim flew to him having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and touched my mouth and said behold this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for and this is it's powerful before we even get to verse 8 which is amazing mm-hmm. let's notice this how much of this atonement of sin had isaiah earned through good behavior (laughs) (laughs) so like he was just there he just showed up right and he here's here this is important he knew he didn't earn it he knew he didn't make the grade he knew he brought nothing to the table except his willingness that's a card tip to verse eight and he was forgiven and his guilt is taken away that's grace. People are like, well, the Old Testament's works. You know, that was this where they, where they earned their salvation through keeping the law. Hmm. But Isaiah says right here, I don't make the grade. I don't have it. It's not in me. I stink. Right? And the angel comes forward with grace from with a with a with a burning coal from the altar, symbolic a hundred percent of the heavenly tabernacle. Because remember, when Moses built the tabernacle, it was built as a, as a representation modeled on the one in heaven. It explicitly says that. But we see this temple in heaven in Revelation also. This is grace, 100%. Isaiah didn't do anything. He wasn't good. He doesn't say, well, because that was judged to be pretty awesome, I was given this task. He wasn't. And he knew it. 
and he was cleansed by heavenly forgiveness. You, it says right here, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for is pure 100% Old Testament grace. Yeah, and it comes, like you said, it's from that altar. And I had to think about that for a second. I was like, okay, this is, this seems by having your mouth touched with a coal, that's the only time I've ever read something like this being what takes away the sin. But that soul, that coal comes from that altar where those sacrifices are made all the time. Yeah. And so it's it's coming it's coming from that through that grace and only because only because because God is allowing it. So verse eight, verse eight is huge. Yes. For God says, "Whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And that is a that's a that's a gigantic question. Um, yes. I, you know, I think we've all we've probably all felt at times God's calling for us to do certain things. Some of us are better at answering those calls and some of us are less, less good at answering them. And sometimes, sometimes we rise to the challenge and sometimes we don't. Um, but the idea, the idea that God is calling for someone to work with him, to go for him. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a big ask. You know what I mean? Um, God could do it himself. But he chooses to collaborate. Yeah, always. Mm-hmm. He just does. And you guys, listeners, you should know that 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 Matt answered this call for a long time. He'd been thinking about doing some sort of podcast, and he just was on his heart to do this. And he asked a, a bunch of us what we should do. And <laughs> I won't speak for anyone else, but I was kind of like, well, I don't know. You feel like you need to go for it, Matt. It, <laughs> uh, I didn't feel called in that way, but Matt did, and he answered that call. And here we are a year and a half later, still in doing this podcast, because Matt felt called to do. Now, I didn't feel called to head up a podcast. That wasn't my call. I'm doing other things, but I'm here participating with this. And God calls different people to do different things at different times. Your call is different than someone else's call. Mm -hmm. But it's important that we answer the call that God. And I will say this, too, from, from past things. Very seldom do we feel ready to answer the call. We feel like Isaiah, like, whoa, whoa, whoa I can't really do that. I'm willing, but boy, I don't I don't have the expertise. I don't have the resources. I don't have the blah, 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 blah. That's not why God calls us. God calls us because he sees something other than what we see in ourselves. And as, as a friend of mine said, he doesn't he doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Yeah, I mean, when you put it in that perspective, I mean, of the three of us talking here today, from what I could see, the, the most qualified and prepared to run a podcast, Eric, probably would have been you. you yeah, know, you've, you've got recording equipment. You you occasionally do little video blogs and things like that. It would have been very easy for you, but it wasn't what it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't you. For some reason, God kept telling me to do it. And, yeah, uh, and that's just that's how God. I mean, think about the disciples who from the only one that appeared to be qualified was Judas. From from outside, like who's qualified to be a good disciple of the Messiah? Mm. But it wouldn't be hot tempered fishermen. These guys were ignorant and, you know, always flying off the handle. Wouldn't be Peter. That guy can't think two seconds before he shoots off his mouth. 
<laughs> Thomas, he's like, oh, we're all going to die. You know, it's just like, he's, he's not a ray of sunshine. Who, he's just, and it goes on down the list, right? Matthew, a publican, well, he's kind of betrayed his country. He's probably cheating. God called who he knew would do this. So if you're a listener and you feel like God is calling you, you think, well, I'm not the most qualified person. Well, you're probably right. You yeah. might not be the most qualified person, but that isn't what matters. If God calls you and says, you need to do this, you move forward and he will make it happen. Mm-hmm. And I actually think there's an intentional spiritual reason for that. And I think it's twofold. First of all, it's for our growth, right? It's good for us to set ourselves aside and step into God's plan, right? But on the other hand, it's also good for God. It says it says in the Bible that in our weakness, yes. his strength is more visible. And so if the only people on earth who answered God's call were the ones who were visibly equipped, where average humans would look at them and go, oh, yeah, no, that's totally who I would have picked to do that. Right. Then how does that point to God? Right. Mm-hmm. So if if it's yield average dum-dum that steps up and steps into a bigger calling and they do something remarkable, they clearly don't get the glory. So it's a better reflection, a visible reflection for those of us stuck down here in this dimension to actually see what's happening. I think that's a really important part of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, still using the, the podcast here as the example, it ended up being something I really enjoy doing. I didn't know how I would how I would how I would like it, um, but I look for I end up looking forward to it. I look forward to the editing, and the editing takes me hours every week. I you know I list I I sort of gotten I won't say berated, but I've been counseled differently. But I listen to it in real time as I as I as I edit, and I you know I, I close up the little gaps and stuff that you guys don't get to hear, and and uh, I really enjoy it, and I find that that I'm growing by having stepped out to do this. And, and uh, so, so yeah, if you, when you get those calls from God, um, it's probably, he's, he's got a reason he's, he's asking you and it'll probably be good for you. I'm thinking, you know, to put it into, in a bit of a worldly perspective, most people who know me know that I'm a fan of Walt Disney, maybe not Disney in 2021, but uh, Walt Disney and he had a real knack for getting people to do things they didn't know they could do. He would pull people out of his studios to get them to go work on things for his parks, and they would end up being amazing at it. And he just had a way of doing that and putting people into positions they had no idea they could do. And and writing, you know, they'd start they'd be writing songs and didn't even know they they didn't have a musician musical bone in their body. And uh, some of the most amazing, not I won't say amazing, I like them, <laughs> but uh, famous. <laughs> famous songs uh, written by guys who who were not musicians you know you think of uh, yoho pirate's life for me if you if you're familiar with the pirates of the caribbean ride that was written by a guy named exitensio he actually grew up here in colorado but um he wasn't a musician and made this catchy song that everybody loves you know and that's because walt saw something in him that uh that he didn't see in himself. And so I think that's kind of the same thing here where God is, he, he will pull you. He will pull you because he sees something in you that you don't see. Well, Isaiah 
actually answers with real enthusiasm, it seems, because it's it's written with with exclamation marks. But he's like, here am I. Send me. Um, I don't know if he was waiting, waiting and hoping for a call, but he is definitely enthusiastic in his acceptance of this call, uh, which is, I think, really to his credit. Um, let's see. I have a note here to actually read verses nine and ten. So let me read that real quick to remind myself what was going on here. We're in chapter six, nine and ten. Uh, God, or he's, yeah, God, he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand, keep on seeing, but do not perceive, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. That's a big question in my mind. Why, why give them a message that they're not going to understand? It's like. Or make their heart. I don't. I don't quite get that. What is the point of that? Of, of, of um, making it something so that they that they don't understand. Go ahead, Karen. So, I've had different versions of this conversation over the years, and it's kind of like a, well, was it free will? Are mm-hmm. we all predestined? Um, you know, I, I can think of. I, it seems like there's a place in the New Testament where it says. And Jesus did this so that prophecy could be fulfilled. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like, like, do we have do we have choices? And I guess I think of it less as these people, God needed an excuse to flatten these people. I guess I think of it more as when a nation has gone to sleep in its own bad habits. Hello, modern America. It people lose their ability to see and hear spiritual matters, Mm -hmm. but they aren't necessarily evil. They're just complacent. So if somebody comes along, like the people who first made the choices to do these things, those were definitely evil choices. The people that came after them, they're more like, hey, look, a footstep. I'm just going to step in that footstep. No, hang on a second. Yeah, movement in the parking lot. Um, and so I, I guess I think that there has to be some kind of wake-up call, but God, since he lives outside of time, already knows the result of that. So when a, a comfortable, asleep, complacent nation hears a call to return to what is truth, they will either wake up and follow the call or they will wake up and hate the call. It, that call, so the thing that Isaiah was going to do, tends to be the thing that pushes them off the fence. Right? They've just been sitting there. They're just like doing what everybody else does. They're not really thinking through their choices. Whatever. Does it really matter that much? And here comes somebody that says, hey, that's right and that's wrong. Do this and don't do that. And that, and and I don't, I've, I've noticed over and over in the Bible that God seems uncomfortable dishing out judgment on people who haven't had a wake-up call first. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so maybe it's not so much like, okay, it says it says make the heart of the people dull. But maybe this is kind of like God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, it really wasn't God's fault that Pharaoh acted the way he did. 
but he just knew things, how he was going to do it. Yeah, yeah, and 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 as the as things played out, that's what happened. So in Matthew thirteen, Jesus actually opens this up, and uh, the disciples ask him, "Why do you speak in parables?" And Jesus says to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Well, it was hardly, he's a bad secret keeper because he was preaching this to everyone. Okay, so I think <laughs> it's a bit of a metaphor here. And he, he reads, this will sound familiar, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. I want to touch on that. And their ears, with their ears, they can barely hear. And he skips down and says, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. That's what he wants. But he gets to this, blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people have longed to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. If you wondered, like, is there any validity to this thing that those guys that are on the podcast are talking about, that this prophecy has more than one application? But right there, Jesus quotes this. Jesus quotes it to his people in his time as applying to them right then in real time. And it also applies to the people that Isaiah is speaking to in real time as well. So right there is some, uh, I'd say, evidence that says, hey, these, these prophecies have application in more than just one time and place. And I, and I would encourage, I'm reading a book right now about kind of waking up our hearts to hear not not in some new agey way, but in the way that in Isaiah 6.10, understand with your heart and turn and be healed, is that our hearts know certain things to be true if we are answering God's call. Because Isaiah also says that our, our hearts, our unwashed hearts, our unsanctified hearts are not good. We can't trust them. But our hearts also call out through the Holy Spirit, I think, saying, hey, there's got to be more. And I want more. And so pay attention to that. Yeah. You know, this kind of reminds me. Um, that sounds like a really, I suspect that's a really good book, Eric. This kind of reminds me of that that uh, verse that we came across in Song of Solomon, where where the girl, the girl goes to bed because it's late. Like she waits up late. Her guy doesn't show up. She goes to bed, but she's sleeping with her heart awake. You, you guys remember that? Yeah. yeah. And it's like. It's like part of you, the part of you that's in love stays tuned in to the one that you're trying to listen to. Yes. And I think that's a different kind of listening and a different kind of seeing and a different kind of relationship than just like seeing with your eyes. Look, hey, this is one of my five functioning senses and it's giving me this information, hearing with your ears. Well, I heard the words you said. Yeah, there's a heart. There's a heart underneath all of that. Yes. Well, Isaiah asked the question, how long? I'm not sure if he's asking how long will they go without understanding or if he's asking how long till something happens. But the answer comes back actually, until the cities are laid waste. Oof. Oof. They're going to become uninhabitable. They're going to be left desolate. But there's a little ray of hope in there because it because God says there's he says there a tenth will be in it. And I don't know if that means a literal tenth because usually when you have that idea of tenth you're talking about a tithe which is like a a piece you know sometimes it's a remnant. yeah it's a remnant it's a remnant and so like there will be people left 
There, it's not like nobody is going to have any concept of what's happened. There, it's not like the, it's not like the wisdom that has been imparted upon them is going to be wiped out. There will still be some there. Now, did that mean though that there will be people actually left in the land, or is that just meaning that there's going to be a remnant of people who are still trying to follow God and will be will be um, kind of a catalyst for making sure that things keep going how did how did you read that it's some of both i think yeah 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 because it seems unlikely that they're going to be able to come in and take absolutely everybody out oh they did a pretty thorough job in in Mm -hmm. relocating people um Mm -hmm. and this i think is one of those poetic prophetic when does it mean then and now yeah does it mean you know spiritually or physically both um so these are the things that we have to look at, I guess, with our heart and say, does this speak to me? So it's it's saying that there's going to be a people left over. And this, again, is a theme that shows up again and again, and it shows up in Revelation as well, is that there's going to be these, these people kind of left over, and not to be confused with the Left Behind fiction series, which mm-hmm. theologically I can't get on board with, but... Um, God says, hey, look, there's going to be some people that still speak for me. It kind of reminds me of Elijah running away and like, oh, there's nobody in the nation who serves you. And God says, wait a minute. I got 7,000 people in the apostate nation of Israel who haven't bowed down to Baal. Oh, I'm not the only one. So so we see that. Um, It's Isaiah shows up a lot in. it's, It's the whole Bible. It's looking backwards. You know, he's saying here, here's what I've worked with you in the past. He's talking about the time period right in front of them. And Jesus talked about it in his day, saying this applies to me now. And we see it re- referenced again in um, in Revelation. And that's why it's really important that we understand, well, how did we get here? What actually is happening in the nation of, of Judah and Israel? And why is this such a big deal? I think that's why it's worth studying, because... That is kind of an outline, like Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's like, hey, look, what happened before, it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Isaiah 2. So. Well, Isaiah 7 carries on. It sounds like now he is being actually commissioned to go out and, and do a thing here. Mm-hmm. He he is sent to King Ahaz, who would be the grandson of Uzziah. We we talked about Uzziah uh, a couple weeks ago, because Syria and Israel are trying to make war with Jerusalem, and the text tells us that they just they can't conquer it. So, sounds like kind of a drawn out thing that's probably really weighing down on King Ahaz. But Isaiah is sent to tell him, "Don't worry about it." This isn't this isn't going to last. The, it says their plotting won't stand, and that within sixty five years, Ephraim's head of Samaria won't even exist. It says, and then he says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. That's an important. I think that's an important lesson for us to all remember. When we hear God say something, we have to we've got to believe that what He's telling us is true. But uh, so it's like, don't don't worry about this place. Is that they're not even going to exist relatively in a relatively short time span yeah in verse four seven four is just some really cool stuff that i underlined that's i think we could 
kind of reflect on this. When God says, hey, I'm going to be with you, he gives uh, four specific instructions. Be careful. Be quiet. Do not fear. And do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps. Now, I think this is a really interesting thing. An author that I that I like um, has pointed this out also in the New Testament because Jesus says, do not... What is, do not let your heart be uh, worried. Do not be let it go faint. Right. Here's mm-hmm. here's a really cool word. Let he says let implies that you have a choice. Yeah. Do not let your heart be faint. That's like if I tell my kids, like, OK, I'm going to be going out for a while. Do not let anyone in the house like you get to choose that. And this idea of like, well, I can't help it. I'm melting. You know, I just there's nothing I could do. God says through his, do not let your heart be faint. Now, the whole pandemic thing has been tough on my heart um, in, a, in, a, in a spirit kind of way. Um, but this, this says, do not let your heart be faint. Like, you get to choose. We get to yeah. choose. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of times people forget that we are able to have a conscious control over our emotions i'm not talking about people with chemical imbalances that's a that is a, a medical thing that is something that's way outside of my wheelhouse but you know um <laughs> i guess you know think of the song don't worry be happy right it's a silly it's a silly song it's catchy tune don't worry be happy you know but there's some i think there's some real truth in that where you you are able to we're, we're more able to control our feelings than we think we are and if we if we stop and take a moment to try to get a hold of them uh we can find we can find that we can find happiness and comfort and and that kind of thing even in the middle of some some bad situations uh we don't have to let those things weigh on us and pull us down um you know we're in a society now where i think anxiety is it's crippling a lot of people and um and i'm wondering is that because we're kind of being told that we can't you know we can't handle those things and and uh so we shouldn't try or or that um or just what it or just what it is and uh I don't know. Um, I guess I would just say I would just say try. Hmm? By the way, um, one of the rules of thumb, <clears throat> you're correct. There's 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 chemical imbalances that lead to this, that, or the other depression or anxiety. But for the average person, there's no no chemical imbalance. But there's been a lot of anxiety over mm-hmm. the last year plus. And as a rule of thumb, one of the things that you can used to help yourself sort out your anxiety is the simple knowledge that anxiety tends to be future tense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Worried about what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's kind of a fear of the unknown. And then like you start troubleshooting and you start circling and you start like amping up options until it's this big thing that you can't handle anymore. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't follow a rational process because it is unknown. So that's that's one of those things. And I think that is, for me at least, that's a key to when when Jesus says, 
in this world, you will have trouble. Like he says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace, mm -hmm. right? So he took away the unknown. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but do not worry. I have overcome the world. But he takes, you know, he gives us the big picture. Like God wins, like we're okay. We're okay. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's gonna be a mess in the process of getting there. And, you know, we can't guarantee that we're all going to be hunky-dory, happy, healthy every step of the way because we live here in a flawed planet. But in general, God wins. And if we rest in him, that takes care of a lot of that. So anyway, just so for, for listeners who have trouble with anxiety, I think that's an important component of it just for understanding it. And it helps me when I understand it that way, it helps me understand why Jesus said some of the things that he did. Like mm -hmm. prophecy, what does prophecy do? It's an unknown. At the time it's issued, it's an unknown. But guess what? You get to it and it becomes like a road sign. You recognize it. You're like, oh, hey, there's that thing. There's that thing. We're on the right path. Yeah, and I hope I don't come across sounding callous you know i i know that some people have this, I, it's some people struggle with you know and they, and they maybe they don't I, I know it's difficult for some people i don't i don't mean to sound like oh you this should be easy for you you know but uh but a big big part of what you just said there karen we know the end we know god wins and if we remember that at least to me it makes it easier to get through the day-to-day -day. it makes me get a little easier to, to know that, you know, the things I have coming up in the next week, the next month, the next year, um, those things are, it, it's going to be okay. You know, maybe not the little things, those little things might not be okay, but ultimately, ultimately things are going to be fine. Yeah, to those, to that point, it's a little bit to that point, but the idea of our timing of and our understanding of what's going to happen is not necessarily hundred percent straight on so this is we're talking about this in in isaiah chapter 7 about these prophecies about these two kings we've got uh reason and pekka warring against jerusalem and god is saying it's not going to happen and then he says something really interesting in verse 10 again the lord spoke to, spoke to ahaz ask a sign of your lord god just ask a sign to, to prove that this will happen i'll give you a sign and then the sign that's that's promised was not what anybody was expecting. And that comes in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We're like, whoa, wait a minute. That's not the sign we expected. But the thing is, is that I'm sure he's talking about like, well, I kind of want a sign like, and this army will do this, and that army will do this, and God's like, nah, that's not really what I'm talking about. We're, we're talking about a bigger picture here, bigger than your current concerns with these two kings outside of Jerusalem. He's like, yeah, 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 I'll take care of that too. But here's a bigger picture thing, and we get one of the most famous prophecies um, of the Old Testament, of the Messiah, and Emmanuel is just, if you did not know this, it means literally like a lot of Old Testament names mean something. It means God is with us, which is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised too. Uh, 
you know, well, here's your here's your promise. And then like it was this whole <laughs> birth of the Messiah thing. Um, before we before we leave this section, there was one last thing on that ver that same verse that Eric noticed and underlined in his Bible. I had also that be careful, keep calm and don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. But the, the part of that that applies specifically to Israel actually made me laugh. So they're being threatened by local kings. Local kings can do a lot of damage. Worldly government can get right up in your business and do a whole lot of damage when war ensues. But God says, don't lose heart because of these two smoldering stumps. And I was just, I just thought that was so funny. Like that's how important those worldly kings are from God's point of view. I was yeah. like, oh, there's a there's a little reality check for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, we we put a lot of we put a lot of stock into you know the things our politicians and such are doing, and yes, right now thing you know what they're doing might stink. You might think it's wonderful, but it's fleeting when you think of history and the mm -hmm. future. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, so we get that amazing messianic prophecy. Uh, that foretelling of a virgin who's going to give, who's going to have a son. Uh, you know, obviously we're talking about the Christmas story here. Um, now, it, I'm wondering though, was there a more immediate? I didn't. I had a hard time reading if there was more immediate uh, meaning to that. But, um, but I guess, I guess the point here, like I think what you were trying to point out, Eric, was that look, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Things are going to stink, but it's going to be fine. It yeah. will. It's my purpose will be will be will be made, and I think that we've con we've confused the ultimate salvation and safety of of the salvation of mankind, the the plan of salvation. We've confused that with my temporal, and I will find my car keys. Or, you know, and my back pain will go away because God promised that everything's going to be okay. His okay is he's comparing, look, he's comparing the eternal loss of your personhood mm -hmm. to your eternal ability, your ability to live eternally and enjoy eternity with him. That's what he's done. That's the context of his like, look, you'll get through this. That's what he means. He doesn't yeah. mean and your check won't bounce. He right. doesn't mean and you'll never get a flat tire. That is not what he means. He's he's talking about the, the big picture context of, hey, look, compared to the eternal loss of, of who you are and your ability to enjoy paradise as you were supposed to, it'll be okay. Because if you choose me and the plan of salvation, this is where we will go. In the meantime, <clears throat> to Karen's point, you'll have trouble. You'll have difficulties. But in the end, those things will work out. And that's the context we need to kind of, as we're doing this with prophecy, we need to zoom in and look at the details and we need to zoom out and look at the big picture. Yeah. And that, you know, honestly, I think that big picture is where it gets difficult because we can't actually see it. We never have, you know, unless we've had visions and we've had glimpses of what is waiting for us or what, how things are supposed to be. None of us have ever lived on any plane of existence except the one that we're on. So how can it how can we not be anxious, right? So this is this is definitely a step of faith. This mm -hmm. is this 100%. this setting aside, you know, this sort of looking into the the unknown future, 
that is that is a huge step of faith because we've never even seen the thing. We don't even know that it exists. We're taking the words of this book for it. We're yeah, taking that prophecy. as truth. Yes, but that's where prophecy fulfilled gives us more assurance than just like, yeah. trust me, you know, mm -hmm. I won't give you any evidence, but you just have to trust me. He's given a lot of evidence. Right. Um, to fulfilled prophecies. <clears throat> And then yeah, we get, so we get another weird one. Are we ready for eight? Yeah, let's move on to eight here because we've talked enough about how things are going to go bad. <laughs> so but, we, um, we get into eight and talk about some a, a child will be born, but this is a different one. Um, this is God calls his uh, servants to do sometimes some weird things. And Isaiah goes to the prophetess. So we've got both genders involved here. She's a prophetess and uh, she is to bear a son, and they name him. Who wants to say that? <laughs> I'm gonna try. Not Ma Maher Shalal Hashbaz. That's that the way is, I'm gonna did pronounce. You practice, did you practice that? Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome name. So this one, this one has a meaning also, and it's it a means mouthful of a name. <laughs> yep, the spoil speeds, the prey hastens. Is this is to be a, a an object lesson to the people of Israel? I'm sure that the, that the social circles of the day would be like, did you hear what he named his son? No. What did he name him? And then they rattle this off as well as Matt did. Then they're like, oh, <laughs> be better. that's like, that's interesting. That's what does this mean? Because he's 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 prophesying complicated things. Remember that these people, Israel, have been convinced that they are it. They are the chosen of God, and it's all going to be good with them because they are God's people. They're working for God, and nothing could go wrong. And so Isaiah is prophesying against that, and it's got to be confusing to people. And here's a practical, real-life parable that they can look at and go, hmm. This, this child never— had a personalized keychain ever yeah couldn't find that in the uh, gift store huh <laughs> no it did but, have me wondering what they would actually call him i mean it, you know Mahershala Hashpas, get in here oh he did practice it did you hear that that was marvelous <laughs> i'm gonna go with just baz they've just called him baz baz <laughs> so, so there's these these prophecies again, it's, it's basically it's an echo of seven. They're saying, hey, look, these these people who are at war literally with you, they're going to get destroyed. Um, that's going to come to nothing. This is verse 10 for God is with us. And that's Emmanuel. Again, this is the bigger picture zooming out to these things will be OK in a spiritual sense here. And then he gets he jumps in and he gives some pretty practical advice in the last half of Isaiah 8 as to how to deal with life in the meantime. Mm -hmm. We get into uh, verse 11 here. It says, the Lord spoke to me with a strong hand, which tells me that sometimes God can get forceful. Sometimes he's a little quieter about things, but he can, you know, he can, he can, uh, he can step up when he wants to. And, um, because, you know, it seems like sometimes we get these ideas that God is w either one or the other. Some people think that he's always the stand up and smite. And the other times people want him to be quiet 
and and um, just kind of uh, uh, loving and accepting and and you know sort of milk toast, you know. But um, he, he he's got he's got a wide he's got a wide range, and sometimes he will he will step in and and get his hands dirty in there, and sometimes he will just quietly advise in the background. But so but this sounds like a time when he he steps up and he's like i mean business now uh verse 12 i thought was interesting don't follow the conspiracies how much can we use that today yeah we think that's a new thing and so we think that's just only since the internet yeah right isaiah tweeted that (laughs) it's just (laughs) hashtag isaiah (laughs) (laughs) but don't follow it's not it's not I don't take that meaning. It's not that the conspiracies can't have some truth to them. But the next verse is even more important. It's don't follow the conspiracies. Follow the Lord. That's what's what's important. The conspiracies might have truth to them, but don't let that be your driving force. Follow the Lord. I've spoken on this before. uh, Back I, I I actually did a sermon in our church on this back when when the, uh, the 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 pandemic stuff was starting and people were fighting about mask wearing and I'm like don't focus on that focus on God the stuff the other stuff will, will take care of itself but if you focus on God and you focus on God's purposes the other things take a back seat so yes they can be important yes they can have truth to them. But it, but if that's what you're following, you are taking the wrong path. Can we actually, I just want to read these several verses in a row. I think just think there's a lot here. So starting in verse 12, do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. So once upon a time, our dear Eric preached a sermon. And the gist of his sermon was, y'all remember when you were kids and one of you did something wrong and... uh, your mom would say, you just wait until your father comes home. And if, and, and like that was impending punishment, right? Like that's like, oh no, I'm in trouble. I mean, you might be if you're the one that did it, but if you're the one that was wronged in that, in that incident, like your father coming home is like, oh, thank goodness. We're finally going to get some dad justice around here. And it's just a totally different perspective. So, so God is God. He will break some people and he will save others. For some people, he is a rock that causes them to stumble and fall. And for others, he is he is their holy place. And Jesus, Jesus, we just read this again. You can't get through the New Testament without reading a bunch of Isaiah. You know, this <laughs> idea of, like, wow, the Old Testament, that's not in play anymore. It's like, well, good luck quoting Jesus, because so much of what he quotes is Isaiah. He applies right. this to himself. Jesus says, that's me. Either I am going to be the one that saves you, or I'm going to be the one that causes you to just fall and shatter. You choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Karen touched on this here, verse 14, talking about God being a sanctuary or a stumbling block. 
and it's going to depend on your perspective. And I think I think it also is saying there are some people who don't get it. They're never going to get it. Um, is that because they're stubborn? Is it because they've got a block up of some kind? You know, um, but you you encounter the people sometimes who they just they. It's very clear that they don't understand a position of faith and and in the belief that God has our best interests and that you know they can't understand why we would run to what they view as being you know a, a man in the sky and you know we're going well that's no that's not it at all and they don't get it and um and so all the concepts that we talk about of the things that are going to be good for us it's it, it they just cut they get caught up and they can't they just can't get over it you know they can't they just can't find a way to accept it um and that was the way i kind of was taking that yeah i think that's a that's a let's think think about thematically this is what isaiah 8 is saying is that god is saying me i'm the one you turn to i'm the one you should be focused on um i should be i should be the one you turn to i a friend of mine who is very into conspiracies one day was telling me about one of the more recent ones or whatever. Anyways, he was telling me about it. And I just said, Hey, I got a quick question for you. How does this help your relationship with Jesus? And he looked at me just kind of with a blank stare. I'm like, really? Okay. So this focus on whether it's okay. Now it happened. I didn't believe that this particular conspiracy was true, but whether it was or wasn't, here's the point, whether it was true or not true in either case, how does this help your relationship with Christ? Mm-hmm. There was no answer. Exactly. It, didn't, it didn't matter whether it was true or not true. It was like it wasn't helping that relationship with Christ. It wasn't helping us deal with the future. We've, we're we absolutely, dis, we want to know the future so bad. And that's why mm-hmm. Isaiah gets right into uh, verse 19. Um, well, 17 says, look, I will wait for the Lord I will, I will hope in him. God is saying, look, me, I'm the one you're supposed to keep your eyes on. So in 19, and this gives context to this, Isaiah 8, 19, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and necromancers who chirp and mutter. Why? Because we want to know the future. Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? It's a question. And the answer is, is no to the teaching and the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. That's that's a God is saying here, look, you want to know the future, you want to know what's going on? Me, I'm the one. To the to the teaching and to the testimony, to the Bible. And if if whatever the necromancers, these mediums, the whatever Whoever tells you whatever they tell you, conspiracies, doesn't matter. He's trying to be inclusive here. Keep your eyes on me to the teaching and to the testimony. Mm-hmm. That's why we're doing this podcast. That's why we spend our time in the Bible is because God has said all these other places that you seek for information, for insight, for knowledge, for for assurance. No, he just says, no, you keep your eyes on me. That's where you keep them. Yeah. Yeah, and that really is the point. That's absolutely the point. 
Because at verse 18, he says, we are, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. That's, that's why these things are so important is because as people see us living according to these things, um, these are, these are the ways that God shows people how stuff can work, how it should work. And, and so, so we look to the, if we look to the proper channels, look to the things that God has told us, look to the things that God has asked for us to do. If we look to those things, then he can use us for great things. Uh, yeah. And if we and if we don't, if we're going to other other places, we're just being misled. Yes. And speaking to that, here's some bonus reading people can do on this topic, because this is not the only place this kind of advice shows up. First John four, one to three. Deuteronomy 13, one to three and Matthew seven, 16. You can look those up later, but those all speak to the same topic is where do we turn and where do we look for our advice and information uh, the answer is it's god <laughs> it's, it's the short answer in yeah. his word it's always the same way and those other ones offer some practical uh, insight as to how we do that yeah 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 so keep our focus on god keep our focus on what he wants us to do if we could do that, we can navigate those all those other things, and they can they can sit there over on the side, and we can look over at them and be interested. But you know, uh, but just focus on the life, focus on the the uh, the methods that God has put in front of us, and, and follow those things. And those other things, they'll 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 handle themselves. Let yes. let that happen because it's all it's all going to happen the way it's going to happen. God's already seen it. He's already working to make things happen, yep. and uh, we really don't need to worry so much about those things. Uh, final thoughts? Anything? I just think that that's what. Yes, Matt. What Matt has said is that. We keep our eyes, we keep our conversation, we keep our thoughts on what what God has invited us to to keep our eyes on, and that is Him. Um, not that these other things are real or not real or or don't have any. He said basically, that's not your question to answer. It's like mm-hmm. this this idea of necromancers and talking to the dead and stuff like that. He doesn't he doesn't open that can. He just simply says, "Do." not go there period yeah and so it's like the it's like the conspiracies what is it true is it not true doesn't he says that's not yours to answer you keep your eyes on me exactly and i think that is where we will were you going to say something karen no okay well that's what we will you should entitle this episode just wait until your father comes home (laughs) that's good i like that (laughs) all right well that's where we are where we are going to leave off our discussion for this week next week we will be talking about amos chapters one through five so we're going to be getting it i you know i know i've read amos i'm not terribly familiar with it so it'll be interesting i did glance through it it looks like some uh it looks like some heavy some heavy stuff to discuss it's going to be interesting i think so next week we will be looking at Amos chapters one through five. And while you are reading that and waiting for us to show up, remember you can reach us at ATTV podcast at the Look for us on Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.